friends before the sermon, I want to offer um, a little introduction to the next three weeks. I have made an unusual choice, and that is that each Sunday I will be preaching from that second text. Um, They will be three, I hope, very different sermons from one another, and yet the coherency, I hope, will hold together. Um, As a little story about why I chose this text, which I'd like to share with you, and that is that when I was in third grade and coming up through the Sunday school in Litchfield, Connecticut, in the First Congregational Church, our pastor, the Reverend Robert L. Edwards, invited all of the third graders to come forward on Children's Day and presented us each with a Bible. I still have that Bible. And in it, he had written for each of the children particular verses chosen for that child. This text, the first two verses, were the text that he chose to write in my Bible. I spent a lot of time as a child pondering those words, wondering why he would choose those words for me. I should have asked him, but I was scared of the minister, and so I didn't. Now, I knew him years later, and I should have asked him then, and I didn't. Who knows? Why do we do those things? So then, a few years later, my parents built a home in a village of Litchfield called Northfield, tiny village, 450 people. I was related to 375 of them, (laughs) one way or another. It'll tell you something about my family when I tell you that only 22 ever showed up in worship. God works wondrous, wondrous ways. And so when I was in seventh grade, I went off to Silver Lake Conference Center, the equivalent of your Pilgrim Pines, and I came back and I said to the minister, I want to be confirmed. And he looked at me and he said, well, we don't usually do that until you're in high school. And he saw the disappointment on my face and he said, but we'll make an exception. And he um on the day of confirmation, presented us each with a little paperback manual for church um, membership. And in it, he had written a scripture text, Romans 12, 1 through 2. (laughs) I don't know what these men saw. Something. So flash forward to my senior year in high school, and I had been active in the church, serving on the stewardship committee and serving on a pastoral search committee, uh, leading the Pilgrim Fellowship group and all those kinds of things, and of course every summer at Silver Lake. Came to graduation and my youth group leaders, a couple in the church, bought me a new English Bible. I was so excited to get that new English Bible. It was almost hot off the presses at that point in 1962, and you're calculating. And, uh, all right, you can stop calculating. I'm 75. Um, So I opened this Bible I'm so excited about, and there on the front page, Romans 12, 1-2. So I thought that it might be time in my life for me to unpack this 
this pericope, this scripture text. Um, and so you're offering me the opportunity for that discipline. You'll have to tell me on the third Sunday whether it's been fruitful or not for you. I can already tell it's going to be for me. So let us bow our heads and pray. Holy One, you reach into our lives in so many ways. Through pastors, yes, and lay leaders, through friends, through the world of nature around us, through the hope you have planted in our hearts and the aspirations that we have. We ask that you would bless us by your presence here this morning, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might indeed be faithful to you. In Christ's name, amen. So, my friends, I want to preach today from those two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can tell it's been emblazoned on my mind and in my heart and my soul. Those passages, just those two verses, are so deep, so full of possibilities, so rich in understanding and faith. I'm particularly struck in that first verse by how Paul, who's writing to the book to the church at Rome, which he has never met. Most of Paul's letters have gone to churches where he's been engaged with them, involved with them, knows them. But this letter to the, to the church at Rome is his longest letter, and it is also the only letter that we are sure he wrote to a church that he did not know. And so he writes to them and says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. Now, in our culture, we are really good at splitting that which is body from that which is spirit. We tend to want to keep those two apart, or at least are imagining that they are somehow two different things. But in Paul's understanding of the human persona and of the commands of God, they are one, our bodies and our spirits. It's our division of body and spirit mirrors our division of what is secular and what is sacred. Paul would not have stood for that either. For Paul, in Paul's understanding and his theology, they are one. One cannot speak of one's body without also including one's spirit, one's heart and soul. One doesn't have a head, one is a head. One doesn't have a hand, one is a hand. One doesn't have a soul, one is a soul. It is the unity of the whole being that Paul is addressing. 
So when he juxtaposes this matter of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice and our offering those bodies as the true worship, spiritual worship of God, that's quite that's quite the dualism being overcome that you and I are not familiar with. So I want to pause there and just be sure that you understand his his overcoming of that dichotomy, which we so often live in our lives, in our culture, in Western culture at least. So just a moment there so that you can take that in. He then goes on from this living bodies as our living sacrifice as our true spiritual worship to speak about do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now, you can imagine my reading those words the second time a pastor wrote them when I was 12 years old when conformity was the great desire. Do you remember being 12, 13, 14? You didn't want to stand out. You didn't want to be different. So reading that text that speaks of do not be conformed was a great challenge to me. When I was 8, not so much, but at 12 and 13 and 14, that was quite the challenge. I think it's still a challenge to all of us. Because when we live in the midst of this world, and I don't mean that gorgeous natural world out there, what I mean is the world in which we spend our daily lives, conformity is what is called for. We are expected to behave in certain ways, to value certain things, to spend our money on certain things, to be in certain ways. And yet, Paul's word to the church at Rome, at Rome, mind you, Rome, the soul and center of the Roman Empire, the church at Rome, and Paul is saying, do not be conformed to this world. Now, in Greek, the the word that is translated here as world is also translated as age. Do not be conformed to this age. And in that period of time in um, Mediterranean history, there was a general understanding that there were ages, and we sort of have inherited some of that understanding, that there's an era or an age and then another, and that they believed that they overlapped. And what Paul is saying is that in the time, in the age following Jesus' resurrection, when God is doing that new thing that Isaiah predicted, that that the new age is overlapping the old, and Christians are called to live by the new age. Christians are called to live in a different world, by a different drummer, by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. It is not intended that we are to conform to this world. We, as Christians, are to hear a different voice. We are called to live differently from others and to live so differently and with so much love that others say, wow, look at these Christians and how they love. 
look at how they live. Look at how they spend their lives. How remarkable a living sacrifice that can be in our worship of God. So I would call to your attention that when Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, he then later says, by the renewal of your mind, it's a singular, it's not plural, it's not the renewal of your minds. And this is another aspect that's different from that culture and this, and one of the ways in which we would do well to live more by that culture. And that is in the New Testament particularly, but the Old Testament as well. There are most places where the word you is used. It's referring to the collective, the nation of Israel or the body of Christ. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice and renew your minds because that is how we will prove the will of God. It is a remarkable juxtapositioning that happens in this text. And so, for me, this it's really important that we understand that this transformation that Paul is speaking of, this, this new thing that God is doing, this this becoming someone else, which was threatening as all get out to me as a teenager, and yet which has given me life throughout the rest of my life. This transformation, this becoming the new being in Christ, is something that, that happens to us and is personal to us, is, is deeply personal. It isn't particularly private, however. Now, that's another dualism in our culture. We think that what's personal is always private. But in biblical culture, what's personal is also corporate to the church, that we share the experience. And we're open in talking about our faith and our need to grow in faith. So I believe that we need to understand more than anything else that our transformation matters hugely to God. It's really important that we be in relationship with God in Christ, that we come to a deeper understanding of how our lives can be transformed and we can be made new. Now, some of you are saying, why would I want to be? I'm perfectly happy. And others are sitting there saying, oh, please, God. What I observe in all my years in ministry is that when people are transformed, made new in Christ in deep ways, their lives open up and are enriched in ways far beyond this world, in ways that open relationships and change the ways we understand the world around us. It's life-giving. And so I believe that when we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, by our marching to Christ's drummer, not the world, we are transformed for God. And that matters in the midst of this world we're living in. The world needs 
power of God, the presence of Christ. The world needs your presence and your ministries as those who are transformed by the power of the resurrection to be indeed living sacrifices and a living sacrifice because that is our spiritual worship. And God needs us these days as much as ever. In Christ's name, amen.